What? I can barely hear you. Is that any better? Is that fine? You still sound low. Come on, Come on you stupid thing. That's, That's a better. better. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? Your Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to The Prophets. I am Paul Spataro, and I am here with my usual stellar crew. There is Mr. Andrew Leyland, or Sir Andrew Leyland. Kapla! Mr. David Pescarella. Kapla! And... Captain Bill Robinson. Waitress, can I get some Klingon ribs? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, hey, it's a good day to die. We are here working our way through Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as I, you are probably aware by now, and we are slowly making our way to the conclusion. We are on season, season 7, episode 22, so we are almost to the end of this, the, the road on this one. But before we start getting into that, and uh, let's talk about any Star Trek news that's going on. Uh, anyone have anything they wanted to discuss? Well, as we record this, the Lower Decks has debuted. I, uh, and, and what a debut it was. What a, a fantastic debut that was, yes. For 55 years, Star Trek has shown us uber-competent professionals doing their job to the best of their ability, representing the best that humanity can aspire to be. And then along comes Lower Decks that basically says, fuck that noise, you can live on the bottom of the ship, be the bottom of the ladder, do as little as humanly possible and still be rewarded for it because you're Starfleet. What a piece of shit that show was. It's well animated. The score's great. It's desperately trying to be, ooh, so edgy and ooh, so piss-takery. And there's, it's kind of equivalent to Harley Quinn, but Harley Quinn was funny. The main difference being Harley Quinn is an irreverent character to begin with. So you can put her in an irreverent cartoon and it still works. I didn't laugh at Lower Decks once. Now, you can argue a case, you know, Andrew, you're in your 40s, dude. This film, this series, maybe not aimed at you. And my argument for that is always, I'm a Star Trek fan. If a Star Trek show's not aimed at me, who is it aimed at? See, I uh, I, I had the, I'm going to put in, in air quotes, pleasure of watching the first episode because... Uh, I had signed up for CBS All Access, and when I said, okay, I'm not going to pay for this anymore, let me cancel it, I did that, but they've been good enough to let me continue to get it. Uh, That's so how got, desperate they are. So I, I, got, I, I, don't, I don't know if there was an intentional move on their part to say we have viewers, or if it's uh, just an oversight that they haven't shut me off yet. But either way, I got to watch it, and uh, I found it completely unfunny. I am open-minded to incompetent. I, I kind of, I wish it was kind of like a tag and bink thing where we were seeing references to what was going on in the 
episodes and movies that we love, but just kind of from the other perspective. That's kind yeah. of what I wish for. Uh, yeah, I wish it was the guys <laughs> who just fix the transport when it breaks or the guys who were in charge of maintaining the holodecks. And basically you do an entire show, like you just said, like Rosencrantz and Gilderstone, or like that episode of Buffy the Zeppo, where the apocalypse is happening over in the background, but you're focusing on what Xander's up to. And it's just these guys going, oh yeah, we're in Borg space, and oh shit, the holodeck's broke again. That would be more interesting than these guys. I'd like, I didn't, I didn't find it funner, but I don't find Rick and Morty funner, so. I, uh... I didn't find it funny, and I have to say I feel, you know, not not to criticize what you're saying because I think you're you're accurate, but when a show like this comes on and the and the critique is well it's not meant for you, I think that that's laziness. I, I think there's no reason that a Star Trek show can't be for everybody. And yes, I'm not in my 40s. I'm in my 50s, and you know we, we we're adding on to it, but there's no reason. It can't be entertaining for us as well because we have proven, I think, over the years that we are open-minded to entertainment that is not necessarily geared to older people. Uh, you know, that that isn't the problem. I, I'll sit and watch. I have no problem sitting and watching cartoons and things that are meant for a younger audience. Uh, and, and I have no problem with edgy humor and things like that. I just found this to be unfunny. I, I didn't think it was entertaining. I didn't think the characters were that riveting. And the reviews I'm seeing from other people totally contradict that. You and I are in agreement on this, but I'm seeing reviews of people who think it's just oh so clever. And I don't know if it's a case of I'm supposed to like this, so I'm forcing myself to because I think people do that, or if I'm just missing the joke. Maybe I am. But I do think it's just not funny. It, I didn't find it to be, you know, any humor in there that nope. made me even crack a smile. No, uh, the, I'm the same as you. I didn't even smile at it. No, I, I may, if I'm sitting and I have a half an hour to kill, I may watch the second episode. I don't know. So I'll see about that. I would see well, it. Not going to see it. No, probably wise. I mean, it's the first Star Trek television show first episode that has not made me at least interested in seeing where it's going all of the others i've watched the first one i'm going all right let's see where this is going and in the the pilot episode is supposed to be your best foot forward i mean even in voyager's pilot episode is actually genuinely good and yeah, this I've, wasn't there's too much other tv i've been watching and enjoying which we talked about a little bit before we started i've been watching uh, the Umbrella Academy, Stargirl on the CW. Uh, yeah, I watched season one and two of The Umbrella Academy. Never read the cartoon. I mean, excuse me, never read the comic. Knew about it, but for some reason just missed it. I'm cur- now I'm curious to see how different or the same it is. So I might mm. try to go find a, the comics. Um, There's The Boys, which Paul has just started watching. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that yet, but I'm going to. And then you and I have seen The Expanse and, and uh, both enjoy. I, I mean, you, you said that you, you enjoy The Expanse, yeah. too, right, Andy? I've still and, only and, seen the first season, so I want to go oh, back and watch them all again. I just began season four, and I I love The Expanse. I love the world of The Expanse. But, Bill... <laughs> How can you you say that it's you, you like it because it's dark and 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 and, and there, it, there's no bones about it there's intrigue and and you know you don't like 
you didn't like Picard because it was like that. Well, it's because it's not saying it's Star Trek and then saying it's something it's you know something completely different. Like I'm like gonna, you said, gonna, Andy, the, the expanse with is the expanse. That, I'm going to say you, you didn't like Picard not because it was dark, but you. I think I think we didn't really like Picard because it just wasn't a well-written narrative and and the dark in, in the darkness felt like it was there for darkness sake as opposed to right to create right. a true it's story not written. I, but I, yeah. I think if it had been better written we wouldn't have minded the darkness no because that you can you can always say that that picard has a three season arc and Picard, Patrick Stewart has apparently signed up for three years. And then the whole point of it could be him dealing with that the Federation has become insular and inward looking as opposed to being what its ultimate goal is. And he's done that before. He stood up against the Federation when they have not been following the ideals of the Federation. My problem with Picard was that it wasn't Star Trek. It was Blake Seven. It was a ragtag group of mercenaries, thieves, and cutthroats going up against a corrupt federation on a ramshackle starship. That's Blake Seven. Mm. It's not Star Trek. And people say, well, it's got Star Trek in the title. Yeah, and it's got Star Trek characters in it. And certainly Star there was Trek some the elements. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, so it's obviously Star Trek. So it's um, it, there's bits of it I did like. I didn't hate Picard the way that everybody else hated it. I certainly didn't think it had the problems that Discovery Season 2 had. My problem with Picard was the complete mishandling of the lead character. It's like he's gone from being a guy who knows exactly what his moral compass is and a guy who knows the right things to say at the right time and you've picked on him for surrendering, but I always argue, yeah, but when he surrenders, he saves lives. And he always turns out that it was the right thing to do in that particular instance to this guy in this show who's indecisive, who doesn't know what he's doing, who keeps being speechified at. And you're, you're watching it going, pick out to tear this guy apart, just speak verbally. He wouldn't sit there and take this. And you that's know, I my s- problem with it. I say this in jest, but if they had changed the name of the ship to the Millennium Falcon and put Han in there, it might be a de- decent program. Yeah, and it's the thing with the Discovery this year as well. It was more that I would like to Pike much more than I like the Discovery characters. And when you like the ostensible guest star more than you like the regulars, you've got a problem somewhere along the line. <laughs> The character I did like the most in the Discovery this year was the new engineer. She was great. I liked her a lot. But the rest of them, I just find the rest of them quite bland and uninteresting. And a lot of that comes from the setting. They shouldn't have made that show a prequel. You file some of the serial numbers off. There was no reason you couldn't set the first season of that show in the 28th century. And now as you got into the second season, obviously that becomes more problematic. But the decision to set it 10 years before the original ultimately hampered the show, which is why I think for the third season they're jumping forward in time so they can actually finally do a Star Trek show set because I think it's set beyond Picard. Now, whether or not that's going to cause continuity problems with Picard, I don't know. No, well, because the Federation's gone in that future, if, if I remember from some of the shorts. That's not. Yeah. Or maybe that'll be what we discover. I, I don't know. Who knows? 
But like they've just appointed a new head of, of Paramount and she said her first task, her first major job is to figure out Star Trek. And I'm like, what's there to figure out? You set the show in the 28th, set 28th uh, century. No, 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 no. Listen, you set no, the show wait. in the 28th century on a Starship Enterprise whose mission is to go boldly, explore strange new worlds and civilizations and seek out new life. There you go. I fixed it for you. You didn't say the rest of the sentence that what is unsaid in that. Go on. We need to figure out Star Trek and how to make money. Oh, so right. there, therein is your, you know. Well, the next generation didn't make money. No, no, no. I'm talking about they're trying to figure out now, and they don't. They think I, I, I think it's all of well, we're not going to pander that it's like some type of excuse the excuse the turn of the phrase fucking hubris. There, there's our one for the show. Of, of saying that, you know, we're not going to kowtow to the older fans. You sound like we're Galron For now. the newer people. <laughs> Sorry, did I slip into Galron? <laughs> They're going to do what... They want to do what Star Wars did and make it appeal to the widest, widest audience, piss off the fans, and message... Yeah, but see, your problem with that is Star Trek's always had a message. But it was supported by a good story. Yes, that, that's we don't disagree about that. What was the all. message of Picard? When you get old, when you're an old man, nobody listens to you? That's what I got out of it. Yeah, and that's not inaccurate, I suppose. <laughs> I can I can speak from experience on that one. See? We don't listen so, to you anyway. Yeah. I don't like you either. See, I, I don't know. It is... See, the thing is, Star Trek always appealed to young people. So you do have, when it first started, it was a younger audience that essentially kept it on the air. And those people have grown up with it. And one of another, th- I, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, Lower Decks was brilliant, Lower Decks was great. But when you center on what it is that's saying there's great about it, it's always stuff like, well, did you see that Easter egg where he, he was having the same hold all that Tashi Yar had in episode 18? And I'm like, that doesn't make it great. <laughs> Just because there's loads of references to the older stuff, that a that doesn't make it stand alone, and b that doesn't make it any good. I don't, I, I don't know, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's we're, we're falling into get off my lawn territory when we just start yeah, our heads and saying I don't know. <laughs> you don't want to fall into get off my lawn territory, and I like. I'm not down on there being a third season of Discovery. I'm quite interested in seeing where they're going. I'm not averse to the second season of Picard to again see where they actually take it. My problem with Picard seems to be, I didn't know this when I was watching it, but it's later come to light that Patrick Stewart had a list of demands that he didn't want to stand on the bridge of a starship. He didn't want to wear a uniform. He didn't want to just keep saying, make it so. And I'm like, so why are you coming back then? Kitching. Well, yeah, obviously. No, so, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't need, think he did well, it for Kaching. I think he no, yeah, said, I, I, wanted, I want to have these acting moments, and if you give me these acting moments, I'll be in your Star Trek show. I think that's what he did. Yeah, from uh, the guy who thought it was a great <laughs> idea to have a June buggy race, maybe let's not listen to the actors as much. Eh? So the guy who created the worst moment of what is the uh, most widely... Uh, and... Panned Star Trek movie. Yeah. And who who came up with the story for that one? Oh, yeah, it was Brent Spiner. So, you know, maybe not give the actors as much control. Well, 
they got to try to get them back. They want to be challenged in their role. Yeah, but it's, it's the thing. I, I don't. I would rather not have the old guys back. It's the same with Star Wars. I would rather they just did a new story with new characters set however forward in the future. Stop pandering to nostalgia, But says but, the guy who's looking forward to the pipe. Well, no, no, no. Well, yeah. No, that is... <sighs> yeah. It's almost like we're being hypocritical when we're like, oh, I would, I would love a Pike show because it's an older character. Yeah, but because of the bottom line, I like guys, the way you're, you're missing the bottom line, which is it doesn't matter if it's new characters. It doesn't matter if it's the old characters. The key is a well-written story. It I doesn't mean, matter if you if you brought back all the old characters and you pandered to nostalgia, but the old but the story is really well written. You're gonna love it, right? But I think some of the like. Pike is a character that's only been seen in one episode. I mean, you could tactically say three episodes because you've got, you know, the two-part one in the regular series and you got the pilot, mm-hmm. you know, and so he's and he was played by Jeffrey Hunter. That's the only time we ever saw that character on screen. I, I've read other Star Trek books with the character in it, but so and I liked Anson Mount as that character, so I'm interested in seeing them exploring the character of Pike, so maybe that really isn't nostalgia. Just because you tell a story in the past or tell the story about a character, if it's an unexplored character, is that nostalgia? Well, it's an era that you're yeah. familiar with, but it's a different story in that era. Like when we watch the story of sailing on the high seas and and or you know pirates and stuff, he's oh you're just you know. Oh, and with, I'm with Pike as well. You've got you've got the Robin Hood thing. You know how it all turns out. Mm. So you've got you've got an interesting element there of knowing how the story ends for this character. And yeah, we've not seen. I mean, and again, if they'd done Enterprise with Captain Robert April, maybe people would have been more open to it when it first started than introducing a new character that we didn't know about before. I don't know. There are lots of gaps in the Star Trek universe that you can fill in. But at the same time, I don't see anything wrong with just going 300 years forward and doing a new Starship Enterprise. What's wrong with that? No, there's nothing well, wrong with that. It's just well, a matter yeah. of, again, it's a matter of it being well written. You do know the Pi- the Pike show is going to take place after his accident, right? <laughs> that that would actually be an interesting show. Just... I would love that. See, the only the only problem I had with that is they've got Christopher Pike right with Anson Mount. They completely failed with uh, Vina and Susan Oliver. Mm. That that was not Vina, that, that actress. And I like her in other stuff. She's great in um, Thirty Days of Night and other things. But she wasn't Susan Oliver, and that's not really her fault, is it? It's like saying Brandon Routh wasn't Christopher Reeve. That's not his fault. But you know, I if you're going to recast Susan been, Oliver. Uh... The blonde, uh, the blonde vampire that was uh, Angel's uh, main. Oh, students. Julie Benz, yeah. Yes, I think she should have been Vina. Good call. In my opinion. Mm. Anyway, welcome to the state of track. Okay, yeah, and uh, while well, <clears throat> we could probably go on for another hour or two about that, uh, this is not really about that. That was just supposed to be meant to be a slight diversion at the beginning of our episode. We're here to talk about tacking into the wind. To save the Klingon Empire. Yalron is leading us all to ruin. Will Worf have to destroy it? This is madness. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Which is the 
172nd episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is particularly important because it is the last one where I will be doing the synopsis at the beginning no. of the episode. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, it's the last one where I will be doing a synopsis alone. True. Uh, and and before I do the synopsis, I just want to mention that I thought this episode was chock full of stuff, so I expected this synopsis to be like the Memory Alpha synopsises, where it just goes on for page after page, and it's only three paragraphs, which surprises me. So this is, again, Season 7, Episode 22, directed by Michael Beecher, uh, written by Ronald D. Moore. Beecher 6? What? Yes. He, it, he was looking for the uh, create. excuse me, the creator. Uh, and with guest appearances by Andrew Robinson, Jeffrey Combs, Casey Biggs, J.G. Hertzler, Robert O'Ryan, John Vickery, and Salome, Salome Jens. The story is that Chancellor Gowron sent General Martok on a futile offensive against the Dominion due to being outnumbered. Gowron blames Martok, but Sisko in turn blames Gowron for ordering such a suicidal mission in the first place. Worf tells Sisko that he suspects that Gowron's new military strategies are meant to humiliate Martok, with no thought of the consequences for the Klingon Empire. He urges Martok to challenge Gowron, but he refuses to even talk about it. Garrick tells Kira that Odo has been hiding the true extent of his illness. Kira says she knew, but she wants to let Odo put on a brave front. Aww. They go with Damar to a Jem'Hadar shipyard with the intent of stealing the Breen energy dampening weapon. Kira has a tense relationship with Damar's friend and second-in-command, Rousseau. Garrick warns her that Rousseau will soon attempt to kill her and that she should kill him first. En route, Damar receives word that his family has been captured and executed by the Dominion. Kira responds to his outrage at the slaughter of innocent citizens by gently reminding him that he killed Zial. Damar leaves in disgust, and Kira regrets her words, but Garrick points out that Damar is still a romantic idealist about the past. This incident, along with her words, may be what Damar needs to renounce his views and focus on freeing Cardassia from the Dominion. On board a Jem'Hadar ship, Odo takes the form of the female changeling, complete with skin damage, and despite a delay, they steal a ship equipped with the Breen weapon. Rousseau tries to kill Kira and convince Damar to take the weapon for Cardassia alone. Damar kills Rousseau, giving up his vision of restoring the old Cardassia and instead aiding the Federation in hopes of creating a better one. As the weapon is installed, the rebels depart the station and head for Federation space. Chief O'Brien suggests to Dr. Bashir that he announce that he found a cure to the changeling illness as a way to lure someone from Section 31 to DS9. Worf discusses Gowron's actions with Esri, who points out that when men as honorable as Martok and Worf knowingly allow corruption at the highest levels, there is no hope for the Empire. Worf muses on this during a High Council meeting in which Gowron presents a suicidal plan of attack against the Dominion. Worf challenges Gowron to a duel, which is evenly matched. Gowron seems to have the upper hand with Worf thrown through a glass display board and his batleth broken. Before Worf can be killed, he fatally stabs Gowron with a piece of the Batleth. By Klingon law, this makes Worf the new chan- Chancellor. Worf refuses the robe of office and hands it to Martok, who refuses. But Worf reminds him of the words of Kalis, who said, Great men do not seek power. They have power thrust upon them. Martok becomes the new Chancellor. Hail Martok. I have to say, 
this I thought this episode was great. It was just filled from top to bottom with things going on. I was riveted to my screen, and I had to fight the urge to just go on to the next episode. I think they're, they're doing like a great job now of just building it, building it up, the action, the tension, uh, and just just having me in anticipation of of what's to come. It's building to a crescendo. Yes, it absolutely is, and it's it's not your. I, I think it's not your typical. Uh, let's just have things go wrong type build up. You know, let's just stack the thing, you know, everything against our heroes until the last moment when, you know, when they'll pull victory out of out of the jaws of defeat. It's it's more uh, of a give and take. They they, you know, they get somewhere, they lose something. They get something, they lose something. Uh, you know, the the Klingon thing kind of came to a conclusion or the Klingon power struggle came to a conclusion with, you know, several episodes still to go. Uh which is interesting, you know the the uh, plan that they put into place for getting the changeling uh, cure uh, is is kind of an interesting way to go. I think, uh, you know, the the they, they have the energy dampening weapon now. Uh, you know, the the dilemma that Damar faced with uh, you know with with Rousseau putting him in a position to just kind of take control and and kill you know their hated enemies. Uh, you know, because Demar, you know, in the past has been very anti-Kira, so there's just a lot of stuff there, and I just really, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, it's it's a very thematically rich episode. I mean, we have complained a little bit that some of them are just set up, and there's no payoff for that because it was building up to something like this. And Gowron's had this coming for a long time, and the conversation that Ezri has with Worf is really good where she basically points out you pride yourself on maintaining centuries-old traditions of honour integrity, but you're just accepting corruption at the highest levels because it's for the good of the Empire. And my only complaint about it really was that fight at the end was so terribly choreographed. That should have been bloody and violent and brutal. And he shouldn't have just stabbed Gowron in the, the thigh at the end of it. He should have gutted And Gowron should have looked at him, like, shocked before he said something like, a good death, and then died away because Worf gave him an honourable death despite everything that he's done and that was my only problem with the fight at the end, it looked worse than a lot of the fights in the original show there are fights in the original show that are more exciting than that one and that one should have been a knockdown drag out, it's just did you not feel it was so telegraphed you like you knew where the camera was going to move and what punch they were going to do next and I'm watching it going, somebody's got to go through that plate glass in a minute well it was Chekhov's plate glass, that one yeah. I'm with you on <laughs> But uh, I, you know, I thought the fight was okay. I didn't really feel, you know, maybe I, maybe I was so engrossed in it that I wasn't watching the steps so carefully. Uh, but I, it didn't really bother me the way that they fought. I thought it was, you know, energetic. I was kind of afraid that Gowron, and I've seen it before, so it's weird that I'd have this apprehension. But I was kind of afraid that Gowron was going to be shown to be kind of wimpy in battle. And that mm. Worf was going to take him out too easily. So I was kind of happy with the fact that he, you know, he put up a fight to the point where he was ready to win until he kind of hesitated with putting the killing blow. Not because he was hesitating that with was no mercy, hesitation. but he just took that was, a little too long was, to do it. That was What's the that? bad guy's stupid move. That was the, I'm going to save her killing. Oh, oh, what? Oh, I'm dead. Oh, what happened? Yeah. But we did get to see something we've never seen. Um at least that I can recall, Gowron closed his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and what did they do? They opened them. Yeah, yeah I mean, I would say 
you know, my, my whole thing was I didn't feel, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, I thought the, the Galron going totally rogue was a little out of character because I thought he had, I thought he did have some honor. Uh, and then, you know, the more this went on, the more he became a cartoon character with no honor at all. Uh, but that aside, I think, uh, you know, I thought it was well played. Uh, the, the, the motivation to humiliate Martok, I thought was, I, I didn't think that was correct. I thought it wasn't to humiliate him. I thought it was to get him killed in battle. Yep, get him out of the way. Yeah, just but, get just to eliminate him. Let you know, so, let him have his hero's death. He's a hero of the Empire, but I'm still the ruler. <laughs> that hmm. kind of thing. But at what point did they make Galron? I mean, earlier on, he seemed. Uh, I mean, a lot of these guys that have been on the council, and Ezri's right. You know, they may not seem the most honorable people, but Galron didn't see i mean i don't know maybe I'm, I'm just not maybe i'm misremembering things but i mean did this come out of left field this sudden fear that that martok you know martok even said that he's not noble birth or so why is galron so where i think this is misplaced this whole paranoia or trying to set up you know this pettiness the you know i I'm going to get Martok killed because he's a threat to my power. Is yeah, he? that's that's what I had said in the past. That I thought I thought it was a little overblown. I thought he was a somewhat. I, I thought he was he was not. You know, he was never portrayed as a great Klingon ruler. Uh, but I th- I thought I had thought they had shown him as, as somebody who had some honor. Uh, and we've talked in the past about how how for all the talk of honor, uh, you know, Worf and Martok are the only ones where we've ever seen who actually seem to. Uh, to exemplify it, everybody else seems to be like a little weaselly. Uh, so I, I mean, I guess that was was true to form with uh, with Gowron. I mean, but I didn't there see could've... that in the past. Right, there could have been maybe over the past, like sometime this season, or since the start of the war, about every couple episodes, maybe a cut to Kronos, and there's a scene to where you know there's discussions in the council of, you know, well, you know, Martok's gaining a following and, and Gowron gives a offside glance and a, and a scowl. And, you know, maybe that should have been dropped a little bit more to have more of an explanation or payoff for this. I mean, it was still good, but it just seems like it wasn't <clears throat> earned. I, I haven't seen this in 15 years, and I totally forgot where this was going. I thought it was going to be Gowron was a changeling. But see, we got that early on. Like, you know, yeah, yeah we he had was that last before. season where they thought he was. Right. Yeah. Because I agree with you. I didn't think it was in Galron's character up until this point. See, yeah, I, because, I, I think uh, they've been setting Galron up as being more interesting feather in his own nest for a long time. And I think that Worf has known that at some point somebody's going to have to do something about him. I just don't think he thought it would be him. But ultimately, in from a storytelling standpoint, it makes sense that it's him because he brought Gowron to power. So as an honourable man, is it his not not his job to get rid of the thing that he himself brought about? Yes, he had killed Duras in battle, which gave Gowron the Chancellor job in the first place. Yeah. But it does. It did seem a bit weird that the Council of Klingon Elders, the only Worf, was willing to stand up and say, "Wait a minute, you're being a bit of a dick." But then, you know, current politics, we see many people aren't willing to stand up to people, so that isn't far fetched. And I, 
I did like that Gowron was all about, well, I'm not going to fight you where you were in that child's uniform. And Paisley Wolf took his badge off and said, well, don't let that stop you. Yeah, I, I liked that. I thought that was, you know, <laughs> I can't fight you because I have my new coat on. <laughs> <laughs> he, he pulled the old Sergeant Hulker move. No more Sergeant now. He put his big toe up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so move, moving on uh, the discussion a little bit uh, well actually let's stay with that for just a moment Is you know, where, where do you see this putting the Klingon Empire moving forward from here I think they've got a much stronger ally in Martok in, the, in terms of the Federation than they ever had in Gowron and I can only see that creating a, a stronger Klingon Federation alliance than we had before so ultimately i think going forward the federation and the klingons will be even closer i don't know what the klingons are going to think about the fact that the federation seem to also be in bed with the romulans i don't know how that'll affect things and certainly we never really get to find out did we because deep space nine ends voyager was off in the whatever quadrant and then enterprise was a prequel so all these interesting political machinations were never followed up on on screen. I don't know if they did anything with them in the novels. I'm sure that they did, but I don't know what they did with them because I didn't read them. But I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, there's so many novels. I'm sure they touched on it, but I don't know how much of that would actually, you know, be considered to be uh, part of of the actual history, and how much of it is mm. considered to be fan fiction. Well, all the novels are considered fan fiction because I think haven't they been largely contradicted by Picard? I, I think mm. they've they've been contradicted. I think as long as they've been making these novels, they've been contradicted by the series. And I don't think they've ever been. Which is a shame because Picard meeting Kirk in was it Federation or Prime Directive? That was a much better Kirk Picard story than the one we got. Shame, really. Uh, I'm trying to think which one. I haven't read either of those in a long time. I don't think in the novel Picard that's directly tied to the uh, series, they mentioned the Klingons. Well, they don't seem to have gone anywhere near them in Picard, did they? It was all about the Romulans. I think the sole thing was when uh, Picard is promoted to Admiral, um, Worf takes command of the Enterprise. Right. But, but that was really it. So if we do get to see Worf in Season 2 of Picard, is there a possibility we'll see the Enterprise? I would think so. Because that would be nice, you know, if they actually acknowledge that there is a f***ing Starship Enterprise in your Star Trek. No, all they have is all those same ships that Riker came with. They don't have... Uh, yeah, they, didn't, they didn't have different models, did they? Are you, are, you, are you referring to the clone army of ships? Yeah. The, the USS Cookie Cutter. That's what it was. <laughs> I was ridiculous. Don't get me started. But you really want to get aggravated, read the book. Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. So one, one of the things I liked about this episode is I don't believe it had an A plot and a B plot. It kind of had A, B, and C, but they're all... It actually had A, A, and A, I think. Yeah, because all the stuff with Kira and Ordor with the Cardassians was absolutely brilliant. I love the bit where Damas is the killing women and children who could do such a thing. And Kira looks at him like, oh, yeah, who could do such a thing, eh, Damas? But I do think her her regret after saying it was probably real. I think I think it probably wasn't the moment to say that. 
Uh, and and but but I, also, time, I also think that that probably wouldn't have been the strategy that, that the Dominion would have gone with. I don't think they would have found DeMar's family and just executed them, because that's only likely to make him more... Yeah. Uh, you know, adamant about bringing the Dominion down. I think I would have thought that they would find his family and take them captive and tell him either you you know back down or they're dead. Mm, yeah, but it seems to make a lot more sense to me. It would make a lot more sense if perhaps the founder, you know, Salome or well, Salome Salome Jens Jens was not in the current physical condition she's in maybe you could argue that you know well she's she's threatened you know to get rid of uh way <laughs> the way she's like oh, i love how that. long how, how long, long until, until the cloning, cloning facilities, facilities are ready <laughs> hmm. <laughs> you'll keep me updated won't you he's like, <laughs> like oh i don't think she's I, I think she's running out of patience so I, I would say that was a if she was in a different frame of mind i i would agree but being that she's running out of time, she's sick, you know, all this stuff going on, I, I'd say that's within character. You know, if so, you're, so you're pissed your off. your take on it is it's a mistake that she made, not a badly written character moment. Yes. Which may be, well, and I, I, don't, I don't know if they plant, if there was any thought as to why we should do that, or they're just like, yeah, well, basically they needed something to spur Damar further on, and that's it. So, which is, you know, what it did. See, I took it more as they were at a point the Dominion where now the gloves are coming off. And like the Nazis, you know, we're just going to kill you, your family. And let that be a warning to anyone else who's thinking of turning against us. That's, I mean, yeah, that's certainly a possibility. But I just think, I think it was a strategic mistake. Uh, and I think it's a, And I think it's a strategic mistake you can see without the benefit of hindsight. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, look, yeah, see, you made him more adamant, so you know you shouldn't have done that. But I think even from the point when they said, let's find his family, I was thinking, yes, find his family, and then threaten them. Oh, or show them execute, on a view screen. You even execute one of them in front of him and say, there's still three people in your family alive, uh, not for long, if, uh, you know, if, if you continue this. And then there were two. Yeah, well, I, I think that would have been a more effective way to go with it. Uh, Rousseau, I thought I thought that whole thing was really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it came to a head quicker than I anticipated, and I'm not really complaining about it, but I think I might have liked seeing the tension between him and Kira be ramped up a little bit more slowly over the course of, like, two episodes instead of, like, ten minutes in one episode. What do you think? I thought it was all right. Uh, I, I, I liked it, because I liked Garrick's rolling it up. You'll never kill a fellow Cardassian, and Garrick's like, really? <laughs> yeah, well, that's... I mean, Garrick is always just great. But it, it was also good that he, as the advisor, had warned Kira about what was going to happen between them. Not that Kira wouldn't have been aware of that anyway. Because mm. I think she would have. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's still... Uh, you know, made for a good, a, a really good moment, and uh, then you know when, when, like I said, when it does come to a head, you know he's got the upper hand. He could, he could just take her out, and and that would be that. Except for Garrick's presence, and then and then Damar is the uh, deciding factor. You know, I I I fear that we're turning into uh, the and this moment. Yeah, that was great. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> see, the, the, thematically, the entire episode is about falling empires or empires having to change and adapt with the times. So you can argue that's why, Paul, that's why you think it's all AAA plots, because it's about the Cardassians realising that maybe they can't go through life being conquerors and dominators. And it's Worf and Martok realising that the Klingon Empire needs to change to adapt. And if they constantly espouse how they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, then they need to live up to those ideals. And those two elements are contrasted really nicely, despite the fact that the the two characters never actually dovetail in any way other than wanting the same outcome, which is the end of the war. What I liked about this was basically Cisco telling Worf, you need to take Garen out of the equation. Now, you can interpret how he said it to be just take him out, just have a word with him, maybe, you know, just push him off to one side and tell him he's wasting his time. I hearken this back to the Cisco of um, In the Pale Moonlight, and I think he was basically saying to Wolf, you need to man up and take him out the Klingon way. I honestly think that's what Cisco was telling him, and I don't think Cisco would have any problems with what went down here. Oh, no, I don't think he'd have any problem at all. you know, the, the, the line that surprised me a little bit was when Cisco was talking to Gowron, and he said uh, some, something to the effect of Martok stayed longer than I would have. Mm. And I don't know that that's accurate. I think, you know, I, I, I don't think Cisco would have, I think Cisco would have stayed in, in, ended up, you know, be, just, you know, he would have stayed against the odds if that was, his, if those were his orders and in that situation just the same way that Martok would. Uh, I, I think it's. I, I think the line should have been something, you know, he stayed much longer than he should have, or something like that. But I also think what you're seeing here is a Cisco who has had enough at this point and just wants the war over. And Gowron is standing in the way of that. And we've already seen that Cisco is somebody who he will make the hard choices when he absolutely has to. And there is no greater absolutely has to than war. That's true. Uh, and I thought, you know, as as the uh, the opening stinger to have that as as our scene, it kind of set up the whole ending. You know, it, it put us in a position right off the bat of, you know, they they're doing a little bit of an information dump to let you know for certain that Gowron is unhinged and doing the wrong thing. Mm. So I thought that I thought from a pacing and uh, thematic point of view, I thought that was well played. I thought it was all ably executed apart from that final fight because I think from a structure and storytelling point of view Worf had to bring this to an end because he put it in place he essentially has enabled a corrupt chancellor from the very beginning and I love that it it was Ezra you told him look you need to do something about it and he finally realised that he did I'm sorry I still wish they had done something earlier in the episode to show us that he was corrupt well, not early in the episode, but earlier in the series, or even in this episode had done something to say, you know, we didn't realize it, but he had been doing this behind the scenes or whatever, you know, that uh, when he took control over the uh, Klingon Empire, it was by doing such and such, you know, something along those lines. Do you not, do you not think that lets him off the hook a bit, though? Let's go around I the think- hook? Yeah, because I think it's been quite obvious to us throughout the run of this and the next generation that he's not been a good chancellor. He is somebody who's clearly feathering his own nest at the expense of the Empire. He's not interested in you if you were a Klingon. He'd slit your throat if he felt that would benefit his political career. 
he's not somebody that you really want in charge because he doesn't have the people at the best interests. And I don't think the series has ever shied away from showing that Gowron isn't for the people or for the Empire. He's for Gowron. But I think that in The Next Generation, they made us think he was the best candidate for the job. See, I, I don't think that from The Next Generation. I think from The Next Generation, I got he was a necessary evil because The Next Generation wasn't as grey in its storytelling as Deep Space Nine is. I think it was more of a case of he's what we've got. We need to put him in and maybe he'll rise to the challenge. Maybe once he's elected, he'll change. But he did. He just become further enmeshed in a corrupt political situation. He become. He just became further enmeshed in the benefits that the political situation brought him personally. And I think that's been a common thread throughout Deep Space Nine. Even though Gowron's not been a character in DS Nine as much as he was in the Next Generation, I don't think there's any doubt that he's always been on some level corrupt or more corrupted by the situation that he's found himself in. I think he may very well at the beginning have thought he was doing this for the good of the Empire. But it's that thing, you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And ultimately he's become far more interested in Gowron and protecting his legacy. That's what this is about. He wants to go down in Klingon history as the greatest commander-in-chief that you've ever had. And he's not really bothered what that costs the Empire. And that, I think, is the crux of the argument that War finally has to realize. I think you've sold me on that. Thank you. Yeah, I can, I can, I can go, I can go with that. I am not. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you know you, you you put it in a way where it makes sense. I just guess my you know my simple-minded way is I just needed them to hit me <laughs> over the head with it a little bit more. I don't. I don't think you're being simple-minded. I think it, it could have aided, but at the same time, I think if you've been watching the show a long time, I mean, I said a couple of weeks ago, Garon's going to get killed, isn't he? And you all went, mm, 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 mm. "Are you saying that from a position of knowledge?" And I wasn't because I didn't remember. I don't remember any of these last this last season. I only ever watched this season once. So although you can argue on a certain level this was predictable. It was a very satisfying predictable, because for me, Gowron's had this coming for ages. See, I knew he was going to die because I remembered it from the past. See, I didn't. I didn't remember that at all. But I didn't think it was predictable because I thought, uh, you know, I thought Star Trek didn't have a history of killing off major characters, even knowing that this was the final season. Uh, You know, the the final season of, of TNG really didn't kill anybody off. I didn't I didn't expect this one to either. But I don't think The Next Generation was building to anything either. In fact, the final season of The Next Generation is one of the most bitty, episodic seasons of the show. It's full of highs and lows. Deep Space Nine has a direction. It knows where it's going. And when you're looking at that from the point of view of the grand tapestry of the whole story, and I know they were making it up as they go along in many respects, but they did have this art largely broken down. I don't think there was anything else they could... Anything else they would have done with Garon here would have been unsatisfactory. He had to die, and Worf had to be the one that killed him. But the fact that Worf was honourable enough to give him that warrior's death says an awful lot about Worf. And ultimately, I can see Worf being Chancellor, just not yet. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, the, the, the line of, you know, people of greatness thrust upon them and, you know, whatever... That he, that he uses, which is uh, apparently taken from uh, a Shakespeare quote. Uh, yeah. 
you know, Kalis stole it from. But I guess Shakespeare is always best when you hear it in its original. In the original Klingon. Klingon. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, you know, he he clearly didn't want it. But he gave it to Martok, who didn't want it. <laughs> so I don't, you know. But I, I I don't know if Martok is the best leader for the Klingons. He's uh, the best leader at the moment. I definitely think he's. I think he's a warrior, and I think he is honorable. So I do think there's, uh, you know, there's that. But he also has shown uh, a bit of rashness in some of his decision making over the course of the series, uh, and and often to, you know, to make moves with anger uh, instead of thinking them out carefully. Which I think the chancellor should be somebody who does think it out carefully. But anyway, I, I you know, I just think it's funny. It's like, yes, uh, you know, I don't want this, but you should do it. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but again. Worf can see the bigger picture, which has always been his blessing and his curse. And Martok is what they need at the moment. But ultimately, Martok isn't as corruptible as Gowron is. And I don't see Martok going down the same path that Gowron went. I don't see Martok being corrupted by the office. I don't see him being corrupted into hubris or building up his own legend. I see Martok as ultimately being an honourable person, and I think from the storytelling perspective, he's the logical choice, more so than Worf is, because there are still many, many Klingons, remember, who won't follow Worf. It doesn't matter that he, he clears his father's name or, or whatever happened at Kitima. There probably are, as we know from real life, there are probably still people who've only surfaced, scanned the Klingon version of Twitter, and they still believe that Worf's family was a traitor. So Worf isn't somebody who everyone will rally round at this moment in time. Martok is. The thing will be, once the war's over, what can he get done, Martok? Yeah, what have you done for me lately? You know, they, they, one of Eisenhower's biggest complaints about being president was he said when he was a general, if he said do something, it was done. When you were a president, there's always bureaucratic resistance. Mm. I like Ike. Everybody liked Ike. Fonzie Indiana liked Jones Ike. liked Ike. Fike, Fonzie liked Ike. Fonzie's bike liked Ike. <laughs> and if Ike didn't win, the Fonz was going to be mad. They did. They did have uh, the episode on Happy Days when during the election, and Fonzie was for Eisenhower, and uh, what's his name? Howard Cunningham was for uh, what's his name? Adelaide Stevenson. No, no, Richie was for Adelaide because he was trying to get a girl. Howard was Eisenhower. Okay, I got it wrong. But I just remember Fonzie saying, I like Ike. My bike likes Ike. Oh, God. Simpler times. So, uh, Odo's looking pretty le- pretty rough. Yeah, we've not even touched on the Odo Kira stuff yeah, yet. Now that one, if, I think if, if, anything, if anything could be considered the B-plot, it's the uh, Odo Cure part of the episode. But I guess, and, and I misunderstood when you first said it, I thought you were going there. But first you're talking about the Kira... Relationship well, yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, oh, yeah, both. You, you know, that he's Bashir and O'Brien are look. You know, he's still looking for the cure. No, not the group. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and Odo's looking. Oh man, pretty rough. Rough. Like crime you know, dog. Take a bite out of Odo. And he wouldn't know about Rough McGruff. The crime I, dog. I have no idea who you're talking about. Oh, it's a big giant cartoon dog that he's like Marmaduke in a trench coat. He wears a trench coat. He's like a police detective dog. Rough, rough. Take a bite out of crime. So realistic, then. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, the effects, man. Oof. Nah. What's What's nice is that you know they make you remember that Odo's clothes. That well, the clothes don't make the man. The clothes are the man. Because his clothes Man. deteriorate, flake off just as much as his skin does, and it's ugh, it's pretty. Uh, and I guess it's you know he's doing all he can to keep himself together, literally, when she's around. And he's, ugh, ew. Yeah, especially when they're asking him to change as much as they are asking him to do, mm-hmm. and he's not exactly at his best. And it's acceler each time he's he's changing, it accelerates. But I was thinking about that. So what? Because he changed forms, it's making him accelerate so if he had just stayed in his Odo form, but he has to change into that and hold that. So wouldn't that really be the same thing? I mean, I guess if you're maybe it depends on the complexity of the form you're trying to change into or just the whole action. Like, well, the, you know, the if... I, the thing I saw about it was that the, uh, the what's her name? Salome Jens, the other changeling, mm-hmm. she seems to be deteriorating every bit as quickly or almost as quickly. Yeah, but she's, she's, had she's not really long. changing form at all. Yeah, Odo only started changing once we pointed out that he had it. Yeah, well, but but he's he's been he was like the uh, he was like the typhoid Mary. He had it, but it wasn't really affecting him. Although now now it is, it is kicking in. So you know, yeah, she was it, it, it was affecting her much earlier. Maybe that's because maybe they changed more often, and maybe because he hadn't been changing as much. Who knows? I don't know. Hmm. If he changes into a pair of handcuffs, where's the rest of them go? Well, that's always been the thing, isn't it? The preservation of mass. You know, yeah. I mean, I maybe he could com- com- The theory really is, if you could do such a thing, you should only really be able to change into things of equivalent mass. But well, I, and you could only compress a liquid so far. Mm. If I remember my science course, Blaine's probably going. Ah. Hopefully. <laughs> and what about his weight? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of things like that, like Dave just said. Yeah. But it, this was a problem with um, Changeling and the Teen Titans as well, wasn't it? So mm-hmm. he can become an elephant and a mouse? Where, where does the rest of him go? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things, I mean, like with with uh, Marvel with Ant-Man, I mean, he didn't, he didn't change his... Well, he changed his size, but his density would change. And then there was one explanation that they had a long time ago that part of his body i think i mean i'm vaguely remembering this maybe it's from reading the marvel handbook like his part of his body actually was shunted to another dimension like his mass or something i don't know there was some something weird about that but i don't know maybe that's what happens here who knows who can say what do you think of of, uh the fact that bashir was not able to come up with a cure on his own it's about time about time this guy fails at something and o'brien's got to come in and say hey why don't we just tell him you got a cure and somebody would show up i think that's Mm -hmm. a brilliant strategy i do actually it's so simple it will work so i but i and i like you know i like on a rare occasion now that that bashir doesn't have the answers Mm -hmm. i think well like that one time he did come up with the the cure for the quickening or whatever i mean he was there for like two months or something he was you know it's and not he, like he, he got didn't it. actually come up with the cure. He came up with the uh, vaccine or whatever it is. Yeah. So he saved future people, not the people who are currently dying of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's as close to failure as they've ever had him. Yeah. But, you know, in this instance, he, you know, he's he's got to go to. You know, what what they're doing is they're forcing 
I, and I think it's kind of brilliant storytelling. He doesn't come up with the cure on his own, so they're forcing him to to be the Bashir James Bond persona to get the cure mm-hmm. instead of Bashir <laughs> the Doctor. Yeah. So I, I think that's great. Oh, little side note: the female Vorto is um, Armin Shimmerman's wife. Salome Jens yeah. is his wife. No, 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 the Vorta. Oh, the Vorta. Yeah. Little. Yeah, there's only one Vorta I like. <laughs> what? Wayun? Yeah. So the other Vorta was. Oh, actually, was no. Like... We had we had who was the Vorta in the uh, the episode with the uh, with the seven seven uh, the magnificent seven uh, Ferengi. Oh, well, that was the same one that was on the planet that was that pitted them that uh, got all the all the uh, the Jem'Hadar killed. That was the same the same Vorta. He was the one I don't who remember. just kind of talked very deadpan. I hate yeah, <laughs> I thought he was really good, actually. Uh, it seems weird that they have his wife in the episode. He's not in. Yeah, well, they even mentioned that. The, yeah, that they're not even on screen. I guess she played a Bajoran minister. It's on another episode as well. So this is like her second time on DS9. Well, Quark was off filming Buffy. Ah, uh, well, would this have been? Apparently, this coincided with the season three finale. Was that with the? Was that with the mayor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, wait a minute. Was that when he was coming to power or when he w- was eliminated? It was his ascension, dude. It was ascension day. Oh, when he turned into the giant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was graduation. We survived. What, I the st- ascension? No, high school. High school. <laughs> I I still chuckle at his final line. Oh, my. I <laughs> I like the I like the judges. I thought final it was line. oh. What's that I, do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what does what does that do? No weapon forged. Yeah, that was then. This is now. Yeah. So they just cut up. They just took all the pieces and buried them all over the planet. Yeah, why not? But this isn't a. This isn't a get rid of. Uh, get rid of uh, Buffy villains episode. Okay. Any, they, they I, think, I think we're starting to peter out here. Is there any any other aspect of this case of this case of this uh, episode? <laughs> uh, just one more thing. Go ahead, Columbo. Uh, because you said case, that's how. Okay. I'm, t- I'm, in, I'm in work mode now. Uh, any any other aspect of this episode that you guys want to hit on before we rate it? Nope. Um, but I did glance. I looked at Worf, uh, his chronology. Now, I did go into book chronology, but basically, he doesn't, they don't really have it. He becomes the, uh, spoiler, the Federation ambassador after this but then he still comes back for star trek uh da, 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 the one with shins on nemesis uh nemesis, nemesis. yes <laughs> so he comes back for that one uh but again didn't didn't mention the books i looked at martok and he goes back uh he cleans up corruption corruption what am i scooby-doo <laughs> <Corruption. laughs> <laughs> i guess there's there's uh there's some, there's some... <laughs> Raggy, it's Rawron! Zoic Scoob, it's Galron! Run! <laughs> Zoinks. <laughs> like he's gonna stare us to death, man! Have a chrono snack. <laughs> a Rhodos rack. <laughs> Alright, I've indulged myself enough. Wolf and Gowron 2. 
we love you. We've got some work to do now. We've got to kill Garon. He's run out of steam. And you're the one to kill him. So gut him from stem to stern. Cut him in half with your battler. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we should have come up with lyrics for that. Have yourself a chrono snack. That snack. <laughs> it's Wolf and Martok 2. We love you. We've got some gem Hadar to kill now. <laughs> so, so Scooby Doo would be a Targ. <laughs> Targy Doo. Feed him! Raggy. Raggy. The Klingon killing machine. Targy Doo. Okay. I, I wanted to let that one play out because I did feel it was extremely funny, but I think it's time to move on and maybe do our ratings now. Yeah. No, Gowron goes back and fights corruption. I guess there's books that, that touch on that, and I guess there's a second Klingon Civil War that comes about it. But well, I was J. trying not... J.G. Hertzler wrote a novel, didn't he? Is that, what, is that yes. one of... Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which I'll maybe... I'll you look said into Gowron. That I think you meant Martok. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yes. Yes. That's, that's what I meant. So... I have rated the last three episodes in a row as a four and a half because it's been just excellent down the line. I think this one has even ramped it up a little bit more. The only criticism in this episode was the fact that Andy wasn't happy with the uh, the chore- choreography of the fight, uh, and I, and that didn't even bother me. I, I feel like this was uh, virtually a perfect episode, so I'm giving it a five. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking of a title for the episode. I think you should find a picture of Gowron and say, Zoix, it's Gowron! <laughs> I've just done one! Damn oh. you! Why, what did you do? I will send it right now so you okay. can see it. And I can change it if you want. I can just change it to Zoinks. Zoinks! <laughs> is, there, is there not a picture of him being gutted? Because that would be a good place to put <laughs> Zoinks. Zoinks! <laughs> As long as he's got bulgy eyes, I think it's okay. <laughs> well, I used that one last time, him with bulgy eyes. Oh, I think yeah. I think this it's hard to find one where he doesn't have bulgy eyes. <sighs> uh, I will give it. Um, let's see. Uh, what did you give it, Paul? I give it a five. Five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give it five Klingon spare ribs. I agree as well. I give it five Breen ships stolen. Andy gives Breen. it a two. Uh, no, no, I, I give it I give it five sliced in half Gowrons. <laughs> well the last the last all fives episode was Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. Before that mm. was Far Beyond the Stars. I mean it, it is it is rare rare uh, a rare thing for it to be all fives. I think that's correct and proper though. I don't think we should be handing out fives willy nilly. Oh, I agree. We had two in a row. In season five with, uh, where is it? It's In Purgatory's Shadow and By Inferno's Light. Right. Yeah, but we do not hand out fives willy-nilly, so I agree with you. But now we are in a situation where we only have three episodes left. It makes me happy and sad at the same time. We have completed the track. So, that is what we say. But you know what I'm wondering. What are you wondering, Paul? I'm wondering what, what would Blaine say. I was pondering that, too. What and I'm wondering Blaine if we say, have a Scooby-Doo type song. What would Blaine say now? 
What would Blaine say? What would Blaine say? He'd say what you're about to read now. Uh There you go. (laughs) Well done. Sorry, Bill, I stole your thunder there. No, 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 that's fine. I stole your thunder and lightning. I do apologize. Blaine says, hi, guys. Take it all. You can have it for the rest of the show. (laughs) You can take it all. My empire of dirt. (laughs) You would kill me for... For, for a bunch of rocks. <laughs> Nobody's going to give me the atoll I have. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Hi, guys. I had forgotten how much things escalate near the end of this series. Each of these final episodes cranks things up a notch, and I kept wondering how much they could have given... Excuse me. How much they could have left, given the number of episodes remaining. Yeah, I'm writing these last seven emails after watching all of these episodes. I love the Esri and Worf scene where she calls out the entire Klingon Empire. It's Worf's reaction to this that sets up the course of the character arcs for every Klingon from this point forward. Kira's work with the Cardassians is great, particularly the hitting a nerve spot. I also like the exchange with Damar pledging his support to Gul Rasat. Excuse me. Finally, the part that worked for me that MSCS in physics loves, I guess Masters in Science in Physics, Loves that was a great show. That Courtney Cox was in it. <laughs> science is the answer here. That was Misfits of Science. Oh, damn. Bashir's science is the answer here speech, though the plan Miles comes up with is great. I love how the fate of the Alpha Quadrant is at stake, but it's still all about the way the characters interact with each other. That's Deep Space Nine in a, in a nutshell. Uh, yeah, we didn't mention one of the things... I mean, I think Blaine agrees with us on just about everything, but we didn't mention uh, when Damar backed up Rousseau, and I thought that was a good moment, because that was very, I thought that was very Cisco-like, when they said, what are you going to do? I'm going to give him my support. I, I thought that was the kind of thing, in, in the, in the situ, you know, if the situation was reversed, and it was the uh, Federation who was joining up with people, I think I could see Cisco easily doing that with, like, if Worf had a uh, moment. So I, I, thought, I felt that that was DeMar showing leadership skills. But then eventually, he realized... This guy's too much of a uh, of a wild card, and I can't let it go anymore. Let it go, let it go. You're so predictable. With the Martok and the Gowron and the War, let it go, let it go. Predictability is funny, dude. Yes, because I was already funny. singing it. That's, that's, in, that's in, something I don't think I've ever heard before. Well, I was already singing it in my head. So I guess oh, I right. see. So so just because I tapped into to your brain because so he, we are like Max Headroom, I'm predictable. So the problem is he beat you to it. <laughs> Two minds, but with one simple memory. Ma- Ma- Max Max bo- Max he- Max Headroom. Ma- Max Headroom. But both in pain. Do 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 do. So I guess that is it for this episode. Uh, do we, not have, a, do we, we have an email? Do the I email. was going to just email. say we, we have some email to read. One of which oh. was not by Andrew Leyland, but it was put in our mailbox by Andrew Leyland. So when I clicked yeah, on it, for, it some, for some reason it came to my email address. That I have no idea why. Maybe, maybe he likes you. I like Ike too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> Sorry, I was just I just did a Harrison Ford thing in my head. <clears throat> Get off my plane! Well, no, no, no. Get off, get off my council. <laughs> so, does anybody want to read the, the uh, emails? Gowron. I believe it's, it's not Cut my contract. Gowron. 
I don't mind doing the email, but I'm not logged on, so you'll have to give me about 20 minutes while I get my computer to do whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I give two minutes to you and you know what you <laughs> The computer's smashed. Uh, if system's you, inoperative. If you want to cut and paste, throw it in the... Pa- uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Whatever you did last time. What the hell was that, Porky Pig? That's me. <laughs> They're all gonna die. Whoops, <laughs> <laughs> that's two per show. We've not, got the extre- We've not got the extreme tag. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I was doing Penelope Pit Stop. What the devil? Something just flashed up in my chat. I don't know if that's, that's, the, Whoa, that's the first email. What? Whoa, All right. Okay. Oh, that's a long one, dude. You do the long one. I read the synopsis. It's not in my contract. Oh, yeah. You and your bloody contractual obligations, which I don't believe you've ever actually signed this contract. So I don't know why I'm adhering to your, your whims and wishes. You'll, you'll adhere and you'll like it. <laughs> I'd like to be paid. <laughs> you'll get nothing and like it. okay all right all right all right all right right. our first email tonight is from gus shaw hello gus he sent this on august the 2nd which was only six days ago as we record this aloha profiteers go my life and take it wait sorry i just went to queen's reich sorry queen's reich (laughs) it's better than rammstein i suppose Mm. I am not sure how fed of your release schedule that you are recording episodes. Well, I've just given you a clue, though, Gus, that it is the 8th of the 16th of the 8th. As it's we the 16th of episode. the 8th. It's the it's 16th of August, 2020. It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. If you can continue recording two at a time, you may have already feel oh, so close by the time I'm sending this. But I would like to thank you for your dedication to the journey through the entirety of Deep Space Nine. We do accept payment, Gus. I am still working my way through season three. Blimey, O'Reilly. It will take me a little over a year to catch up with the most recent episodes of the podcast that you have released. Last week, I finally reached the point where Odo gets his own quarters. I am eagerly anticipating when Quogo complains about Odo living in the apartment above his. I know it is a minor fallacy that has nothing to do with the plot of whichever episode it will appear in, but it's one of those moments that has stuck with me since I watched the original episode back in the 1990s. Odo, as I have probably stated before, is my favourite tracker. Am I... And the major... That sounded like Cleveland, didn't it? <laughs> More like Quagmire. Giggity. That's, that's the one I meant. Yeah, sorry. And the major aspect... Giggity, giggity. A major aspect of his character is the dynamic between Odo and Quark that ran and evolved throughout the series. To me, that scene where Quark gripes about Odo keeping awake with all the shape shifting into different animals at night encapsulates that interrelationship at its best. It reminds me of siblings that go out of their way to push each other's buttons as a proxy of admitting actual fondness for each other. Somewhat similar to the hosts of this show, you might say. When Odo says he stopped charging around as a bison or something large and heavy, when Quark called and complained about the noise, and Quark pointing out that the scurrying of a teeny tiny mouse feet was just as bad, something to the effect of these lobes aren't just for show. Even at the time, it reminded me of the shenanigans my siblings and I pulled on each other. I was delightfully surprised at how much I'm enjoying every time Quark and Garrick have a chance to interact. Those two actors played well off each other, in my opinion. I hadn't remembered 
them together, but figured they probably ended up with some filler scenes at some point over seven years. I kind of wish they'd managed to work in a few more chances for Garrick to give Quart those snarky retorts that Andy Robinson delivered so beautifully. For example, when Quark promised to send every Ferengi to Garrick's shop for a new suit of clothes, and Garrick says something about it being his lucky day. I would like to ask, what are some of your favourite moments or details from going through this journey of Deep Space Nine from start to end all over again? Did you rediscover any hidden gems that you may have forgotten with a TTFN Gus? Well, thank you for your email, Gus. Uh, hidden gems? I, I think for me it was just discovering that the show was as good as I remembered it when you consider that I haven't watched a lot of it in, God, is it 25? Is this show 25 years old now? somewhat similar yes, to that yes it is mm-hmm. yeah a lot of the little scenes are my favorites like garrett being snarky although i did find it quite um quite funny unintentionally that they followed an episode where they wouldn't let somebody go on the holodeck with them who then died with bashir going yeah you can all come on the holodeck with us if you want <laughs> hidden gems uh, don't know if um I found any hidden gems, but I mean, I've really enjoyed some of the the little songs we've come up with based on episodes. I would say that's always good. As, that's always sorry. a good chuckle. I would say, as far as hidden gems go, uh, there there is nothing about the storyline that has kind of surprised me or or that I didn't remember that was hidden. Uh, but in doing critiques of the episodes. I have been impressed more so than when I was originally watching it with the quality of the acting. I would say that that for the most part, uh, the acting on the show has been excellent. There there, there were some exceptions early on uh, when the characters were kind of finding their... uh, you know, finding their characterization, or when the writers were doing it, uh, where they seemed a little uneven and, and the performances seemed a little bit more, a little bit less subtle. Uh, but in general, in the show, I found found the acting to be almost universally top notch. And it's something not that I didn't, not that I didn't wasn't, you know, that I didn't think that the first time around. But I think I've been more keenly aware of it as we've been watching this now because we've been watching it with a more critical eye. Uh, you know, just the level of performance by you know people like Louise Fletcher and Andrew Robinson uh, and and Mark Alamo and even uh, Avery Brooks, just it, it's it's really just opened my eyes on some occasions with just how good it's been. So I would say that's to me that's been the hidden gem of of reviewing this series from the beginning. For me, the gem has been and always will be Vic Fontaine. all right and thank you for writing in gus uh we have i'll I'll read the next email yeah don't don't put yourself out or anything (laughs) from our friend kurt greenfield uh and he wrote to us on august 13th so really uh (laughs) you know really quick turnaround on this one uh the subject is killing dax and kirk writes you bastards you spoil the end of season six. What do you mean? What are you doing here if you haven't watched it? I've never seen the whole series, and I'm enjoying it the first time via your podcast. Tell Dr. Bill that you're all terrible people for spoiling it. Next, you'll be telling me that the wormhole isn't really gone. He is hoping that Voyager comes flying out of the restored wormhole, forcing you all to have to review that series next. 
And he put a little little happy face next to that. Kirk, you're really supposed to watch the episode and then listen to us. <laughs> so just just I, th- I think viewing he's, I think he's saying that we spoiled something a few episodes in advance. Oh. Who us? No. And see, my problem with that is. On the one hand, I agree with him. Sorry, Mayor Culpa, Robert Culp. But on the other hand, uh, at the same, we have made illusions before to what's coming down the line. And one of the joys of watching it all is the knowing where it's going and being able to see them set it up well or not well, as the case may be. And your lot's uncomfortable shifting in your seats when I said, Wolf's got to kill Gowron, right? A couple of episodes ago was was a case in point. I thought that was really cool. Okay, and we have one more email from Tissom Tissom. Who wants to take that? Do you want to do that one today? Or do you not want to save it for next week in case we don't get any other email? All right, you know what? Since there's only one piece of email left, Ben, you're going to have to wait till next week to hear us read and, uh, and, and respond to your email. There you go. That's a tease, isn't it? Ooh. Well, it's a tease to Ben, but I don't know if anybody yeah. else really gets. Next time on our all-new episode of Listen to the Prophets, Ben's email. <laughs> In addition to Ben's email, what else are we doing? <laughs> In addition to Ben's email, next time on our all-new episode of Listen to the Prophets, Bashir and O'Brien lure a Section 31 agent to the station in a desperate search for a cure. Extreme measures. A fatal diagnosis. How long do I have? I haven't given up hope. A conspiracy of murder. Genocide. Now, a battle for the cure. Somewhere in that brain of yours is the information that I want. Is being waged. We must be close to finding it. This is crazy. Inside the mind of a killer. Julian, we have to get out of here. If he dies, the cure for Odo dies with him. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. Giggity, giggity. <laughs> Extreme! Oh, sorry. thought I was in the 90s again. Sorry. I don't think I've ever heard giggity, giggity said in such a serious voice. <laughs> oh, yeah, these, ne- these, these, these next times are serious business, dude. That is true. I will, giggity, and, and, giggity. I, and I'll look forward to next time. I hope everybody else will. Thank you for listening, and uh, kapla. Long live the Empire. Dude. Kapla. We didn't get the plot out of you, Robinson. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Well, first, first, I would like to express my sincere apologies for totally forgetting you people existed yesterday. <laughs> I, I thought that was the goal. acceptable, you know. <laughs> we came back from vacation on Wednesday, and I just didn't come back. Where did you, you guys go? We went to uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Since we're limited down to 14 states we can travel to without getting our asses examined when we get back. You lived among the Amish? Actually, I lived among the outlet malls. You didn't raise a barn while you were there? 
I don't do bonds. I'm not in that union. 